Good evening, everybody. My name is Stephen Baugh, and I'm your managing editor at CBR.com. And I'm Ben Kendrick, publisher of ScreenRant.com. Happy effing New Year, everybody. We did it. We slayed the beast. 2020's dead in the books. Happy New Year, Ben. How are you, first of all, in this, this first formative days of 2021? I mean, I'm great. 2021 is off to a great start because Slack was down all day or like for at least like about half the day, which threw a huge wrench in the works of coordinating Screen Rant. I assume CBR as well. And I almost just decided to go home, but I didn't. I stuck it out. And uh, here we are. Yeah, I we we had to switch to Discord uh, very briefly. That was uh, entertaining because the last time I was forced to switch to Discord was uh, by your good self. And uh, nobody told me during the day that my microphone was on the whole time. So you all heard me yelling at my kids and uh, being yelled at by my wife. Mm. So that was uh, yep. super duper funsies. Um, yep. Lots uh, other than Slack going on, lots of new stuff happening, lots of um, new projects, things finishing. Um, you know, Mandalorian closed out. A couple of other things happened. We might be talking about that later. Maybe, maybe not. Um, but perhaps most importantly of all, Wonder Woman hit screens, not only small screens, but big screens across the world. And I think we're going to talk about that, Ben. What was what was on your mind with Wonder Woman 1984 by Patty Jenkins, starring Gal Gadot? Yeah, so we, you and I were talking about potentially recording last week and doing like a review of Wonder Woman. And we both decided we would rather just spend time with our families than record this podcast last week. So, um, but people are still unpacking the movie like not everybody saw it on day one and also i think people are going and revisiting it and trying to kind of you know i think recontextualize maybe a bit how they felt about it initially i think my opinion of of it has shifted a bit from my initial viewing so you know i wanted to kind of revisit it a little bit we're you know a little over a week out now after it had released people have had a bit of time to digest it and what has been the most kind of i guess newsy of the things that we've talked about um on the site is the shift in the rotten tomatoes score so the movie started out came out at the gate really strong uh press people there were some you know a couple people from screen rant i know cbr got to see it early um, some people got to go to the theaters. They were also offering press uh, screeners of it. So there was a small group of critics that got to see the film and then interview um, Gal and Patty Jenkins. And uh, that initial sort of wave of reviews led to an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, which after you hit a certain amount of reviews at 88% is quote, certified fresh. So anything above 75% on Rotten Tomatoes is certified fresh, as long as it has kind of like a critical mass of reviews. At 75%, you lose the certified fresh. It's still fresh, but it's not certified fresh. Um, and then below 60% is a rotten tomato, as they say in the business. And in the course of the last week, uh, it's gone from 88% down to, as of the recording of this, 61%. Um, and I think you might talk a little bit about the audience score has, it's not as bad, but has followed, has followed suit, you know, more than I think some people kind of expected. So our, uh, you know, this sort of led me to kind of go back and say, how were our, our readers actually feeling a week out after seeing it? And it's about, is <laughs> about similar conversations still happening as as was happening a week ago. So um, I have I have Sean Raker who said the first Wonder Woman was phenomenal. 
This one, the CGI was bad in some spots, great in others. Story was not overly complicated, but DC made it over, overly complicated. I was hoping for so much more so Wonder Woman could once again carry the rest of the DC universe. But in true WBDC style, they effed it up. Um, Candy Hay said, I'm a huge Wonder Woman fan. I couldn't even finish this movie. I had to turn it off. I couldn't take any more. Conversely, another Wonder Woman fan, uh, Jared Ridge said, I liked it, but I'm a huge fan. I hope they show Wonder Woman fly in Zack Snyder's cut of, of Justice League. Um, and Alex Arreo said, I definitely like this film a lot. While it was a little too slow in the beginning and it could have had a little bit more action, I think the theme of be careful what you wish for and its consequences was presented really well and thus made the film enjoyable overall for me in my humble opinion. Um, I also had several people who just think Rotten Tomatoes is dumb. Um, Rhett Cooper Davidson said, it still has a higher audience score. That's all that matters. Um, Dean Ackley says, so Rotten Tomatoes tells me what I like and what I don't. Nope, I enjoyed 84, maybe watching two to three more times before it goes away. Love the mid-credits scene. And then Kevin Frost said, the critics will never love DC movies for whatever reason. So WB just needs to say, screw it and do what they want with their films. And the final one that I'll read before I read my comment of the week when we when we switch gears is Bob Brown said, the whole feel of the movie was off to me. Background extras were overacting in every scene. Nobody had on-screen chemistry the first hour and a half. Nothing exciting happened and the drama never felt realistic or engaging. And the cop begging for help from, quote, somebody, anybody on a walkie-talkie when there was literally six cops 20 feet away from him. <laughs> Movie's good, but not great by any means. Uh, edit. So he edited his comment. I forgot to mention the action, but aside from the three scenes of subpar fighting, driving, running, there wasn't any. Just a lot of whip flipping. Whip so flipping on. I had that, uh, you know, I always put like little kind of things like, okay, so this is the did not like section. This is the like section. This is the section that thinks Rotten Tomatoes is dumb. And for Bob Brown's, I wrote, what is film criticism anyway? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's talking about background extras and stuff like that. So um, I, I told you, and I, I mentioned it here briefly, like my opinion on the movies, I think changed a little bit and kind of, reflective of the way that the the tomato meter has dropped on it so i started out by really liking the film and i think i dude your cat is on your <laughs> i know i was about to say speaking of um speaking of back background extras yeah. mine just popped in to try to save this film yeah. this is it is just like smashing my arcade cabinet right uh, now i'm just making love killer, makes, you make like sweet kidding. love to that thing all up on that thing yeah but uh there's a metaphor like, here somewhere about i'm sure yeah i don't know well cheetah right like cheetah's back there there's an apex predator behind you buddy there watch it out there it is. um the uh i started out by really liking the film and i think maybe some of that is i'm caught up in the fact that i'm about to have a baby girl here in like a couple you know months and it's like i just love the movies like this exist for for her, you know, to be like inspired and to have superheroes to look up to the way that I looked up to Superman. Like, I don't I don't know if growing up in the 80s like we did, if I had been, you know, like a like a female comics fan, if I would have had the plethora of movies and heroes and stuff to look up to in comics. Like, obviously, they were in the comics, but seeing Christopher Reeve in live action meant so much to me as a kid. And so I love that. I mean, you know, Wonder Woman 84 is like not a it's not a coherent film in a lot of ways but you know if a little girl is watching it like i have to imagine that she, 
that's inspiring still and that they connect with that character and that, that there's like value in just that experience for someone to see themselves represented in that way, like on screen. So I don't know if I was kind of caught up in that or not, but I walked away like really loving it the first time. I saw a lot of the problems with it. Like I body swap stuff didn't make a lot of sense to me. Like I felt like there were better ways of doing some of those kind of things. But I was like, look, you know, they sort of set out to make an 80s ish inspired movie and they kind of did that, I thought. But over time, my opinion of the movie has kind of shifted to kind of meet Rotten Tomatoes, I think, like almost where it is. Like, I still like the movie. I still think it's it's better than some of the comic book films. I like a movie like this that takes more risks than some of the MCU films, which to me still feel like pretty cookie cutter. Like we talked about Ant-Man a couple weeks ago or something like I still think this is a I would rather watch this than watch Ant-Man and the Wasp again, personally. But I do see like some of the things that after that initial wave of positivity that people were bringing up, like, you know, representation of Middle Eastern people from the 80s, for instance, you know, as being like greedy oil tycoons and the kind of awkwardness, um, you know, that is created by the way that they brought Chris Pine back. And Ryan George, who does our pitch meetings at Screen Man, did a really killer pitch meeting for Wonder Woman 1984 that like, kind of shows how thin it is in some places and how weird some of the choices are. It's just like, I mean, spoilers at the end, like a little boy just comes running out of the woods or something. And it's like, like things like that. It doesn't feel like a big world where these things are happening. You know, you're, you're asked to kind of suspend a lot of disbelief in ways that I think were jarring to people because of how coherent and solid the first one was with the exception of people maybe feeling a little bit split on not a little bit split, but feeling like the final battle in Wonder Woman was like kind of CGI nonsense a bit. That was like the big criticism, but everything else was pretty solid throughout. This felt like that kind of the opposite, where it was just so like wandering and meandering that there's great moments throughout and there's some like there is a good message and there are some, you know, some kind of cool things in it. But all that filler and all that stuff kind of led to it feeling less coherent and less solid. And that was jarring because of how good the first one was, I think. I would agree. There is a lot to unpack in everything that you just said. And I've got my own comments. And as we watch my, my cat lick his butthole um, (laughs) upon my left shoulder, (laughs) this is what, you are correct. This is what Cheetah should have been in Wonder Woman 1984. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, the real butthole cut behind you, man. That's, that's the, the cat's butthole cut. This is the butthole cut. This is the one we've been waiting for. Um, I'm going to read some of some of our comments, commenters, that I think agreed with uh, a yeah. lot of your commenters. Um, Russell Smith was on the pro side of this. Uh, he said, I honestly loved it. thought it was better than the first overall. Was the beginning especially super cheesy? Yes, but it felt intentionally 80s cheesy, which I hella appreciate due to the era. I'm going to comment on these as I go along, if that's okay, Ben, Um, because you brought up the 80s thing. I thought the 80s thing, I mean, it's called 1984. There's a lot that could have been done with that title, obviously, Orwellian, um, but also in the 80s. To me, the 80s part of it was just played off as a gag. There was no kind of like, there was no reason for it to be in the 80s really other than like this is funny and chris pine can laugh at stuff like that to me was just it was almost like a naked gun movie where it was just like a parody of itself almost um and what was really what yeah, was they the were point? trying to do some of the cold war stuff though yeah but like i mean like that, nuclear arms race and stuff right? like 
you could still do it's that superficial today. i agree it's, it's super superficial. superficial like yeah, it's yeah. it's just kind of pointless um yeah. and like i said it's just made a, as a gag kind of thing which is weird um but russell really enjoyed it um also jose olivencia said uh saw it again good movie great message to which trent mckay said how much xanax did you take to really enjoy this movie <laughs> or did it take <laughs> and on rotten tomatoes specifically i do think a lot of people in the industry and who enjoy those kinds of things um take are taking rotten tomatoes and and other kind of critical critical aggregate reviewers like that um with a grain of salt these days um Cameron McIntosh Jr., I'll just read a snippet of his, said, come on, grow up and make decisions for yourself instead of some online site made by people who think the Cider House Rules is a great movie. I think that's just pretty funny. Um, Luke, <laughs> Luke Bradshaw <laughs> Luke Bradshaw also said, once upon a time, Billy Madison got one star and that thing is a cinematic masterpiece. Correct. Also, truth. like, yeah. very, very much truth. I, I, I'm just throwing this in there for um, for you, Ben, and for Screen Rant. Um, Michael and Heather Macklin Furman. Oh, that's a joint account. Good for you guys. Um, said, thought for sure we were going to get the crack ending. Uh, those that read comics know. Now, the crack ending to explain from the comics was a very integral part of the relationship between Wonder Woman and Maxwell Lord, who is one of my favorite characters in DC. He's great. Um, where I'm just going to spoil this for you because it's an old ass story. So get over it. But uh, she, to stop him, uh, so he has these powers and he's taken over Superman and using Superman to basically decimate everybody. His powers are quite a bit different from the, than what they are in the movie and that he can just kind of push people, they call it, and control their minds with suggestion. So he's doing that. And the only way to stop it, Wonder Woman finds out, is to kill him. So she does by snapping his neck. And it says crack. And it was like this big thing. Uh, to which Joy Christian Johnio Julio says, but that would mean another neck snapping incident like Man of Steel. Ha ha. And then there's this gif of Snyder showing them how to snap the neck and is just joyous about yeah, it. The, yeah. The... Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. how you do it, guys. It's no problem. Um, <laughs> which I think was probably the foundation of ScreenRant.com. Um, and uh, but then again, uh, Michael and Heather also say yeah, yeah. <laughs> sex. That was the moment it was truly burst into existence. Just joking. Um, yeah. Michael and Heather say, however, that would have made more sense and given her a reason to disappear again for 30 years, which is a very interesting point, because I think a lot of people said that they had a problem with not only why she disappeared. She was out in the open. She had all these new powers that she didn't develop or didn't show and like that just kind of disappeared by Justice League and BBS. So this is kind of an interesting way to do that. Like that's kind of a, a, an interesting explanation. Um, the big uh, part that I really want to get into. Okay, well, uh, first let me unpack a little bit of what you were saying before. I think not only the 80s thing was a problem, the um, racial representation I do think was a big issue. Um, a lot of people were uh, talking about her um, invo involvement with the, the Israeli uh, IDF and and being a part of that yeah. as anybody who is uh, an Israeli citizen does serve in there. Um, and she spoke uh, yeah. in favor, uh, allegedly, of, of this of this bombing um, or of this kind of campaign or of the IDF in general. So people equated what happened in the movie as her using a missile to save Arab children as problematic. Um, so a lot of people had problems with that. Yeah. I think given like regardless of how that plays out, given how people have responded to that and her being Cleopatra in their next project together, 
like they didn't think that that was a problem that some people were going to be upset by that is baffling to me like that they didn't think these were issues that were going to confront them whether they're true or not or they believe in them or not it's just like yeah that was always going to be an issue for a lot of people i feel i'll jump jump in and say like i do i do agree with that that was one of the things like afterwards where i was kind of like okay you know the whole like kind of oil plot line and stuff is just it's almost like cartoonish you know and it's i think it's portrayed that way a bit in the movie like maxwell's whole kind of like evolution and kind of the way that he's sort of falling apart in the movie and and trying to kind of hold it all together is kind of cartoonish in some ways and so when it goes to this whole like he's going to go to the middle east and get like you know get rich with oil and stuff it's just sort of that same kind of goofy 80s stuff but i did have the same thought after the fact once it kind of been pointed out to me which is like whoa that was a major blind spot like how like how could they have possibly thought that that was just like a like a savvy just even from a PR perspective like a savvy sort of turn to like involve anything with the Middle East if you have if you have you know Gal Gadot like involved not that she's like particularly outspoken or anything like that necessarily it's like but that is an undercurrent of you know like tension in the world that she has kind of her anchor into in one form or another like why would you ever call attention to that is 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 beyond me i think i I think they were trying to subvert it by saying like look this is a wonder woman who does speak for the world and who will save these children who like you all know that this is like a thing that's being talked about or has been talked about in the real world but look like she is going to save them as wonder woman and obviously whatever um but i just think it kind of bit them in the ass it's just Yeah, yeah it's just not a good look but yeah, definitely the the most, I think, contentious thing that has come out uh, since is this whole idea of consent and how it was it has been a problem for a lot of people. Um, and we wrote we had an article go up um, called Patty Jenkins endorses defense of Wonder Woman 1984's controversial Steve Trevor plot. And that was by John Arvin. And he put that together for us. Um, and, you know, obviously, like the, the whole thing behind this is that. She made a wish unknowingly, some might argue that she would have Steve Trevor back, but this Steve Trevor was not just brought back, but put into the body of somebody else. And that was, well, that either ostensibly was or should have been the monkey's paw part of the wish that was taking something back. Um, It turned out that that wasn't really like it was more that her powers were fading, which was weird. Yeah. Um, and like, that's part and parcel of, yeah. of what your commenters had said and what you've mentioned as well. Um, but Patty Jenkins endorsed this defense of it. I'm just going to read it real quickly. Um, this person on, on Twitter named Dustin Phillipson said, uh, whose name is at dusty. Don't shoot on Twitter said, if you can't see that Patty Jenkins was playing with that trope and even intentionally pointing out the problematic nature that all these movies had to skirt around, then I think you need to reexamine a beloved eighties fantasy movie like big with Tom Hanks where he, as a 12-year-old in an adult body, has sex with an adult female, making her a statutory rapist by default. Also, number two, the movie implies that if you revoke your wish, then much of the impact of your wish is revoked. Hence, even the sex Diana had with this guy possessed with Steve may have actually been eradicated from the movie's fabric of reality. Um, Dustin went on to clarify this by saying, Evil Wishing Stone is seducing people into evil. Barbara loses her humanity, Max loses his soul, Diana loses her powers, slash, becomes seduced by a lie. If you can't see that the movie is saying the swap is a problem, I think maybe you should rewatch it. 
so this person was basically saying basically all of that that like comparing it to big and some other body swap movies like freaky friday that were popular in the 80s and that patty jenkins was somehow using that as a trope um which okay our our readers picked this apart and it's just a a big part of this conversation i'm just going to play this out for you uh blake calvert says two problems with this theory one big wasn't a body swap movie a kid grew up into an adult overnight two this wasn't a body swap it was a possession body swap implies that not steve's consciousness is inside whatever is left of steve's charred rotten corpse in germany so that would mean that this dude is just (laughs) shunted through time and is just like like stuck in this corpse of a thing there there are some other things like doug welsh the third said i enjoyed the film and i did pick up in the film night 80s film tropes which for the most part i enjoyed but remember that scene in revenge of the nerds when the nerd in the darth vader helmet has sex with another guy's girlfriend who erroneously believes it's her boyfriend until he removes the helmet and casually explains that despite being a virgin thinking about sex all the time makes you good at it and naturally she just accepts all of this would anything in the plot have changed had Steve just magically appeared rather than possessing the body of another guy. And like this, this is the problem for me. Like we mentioned before that like, like maybe if she just brought him back and then lost her powers, that would have been interesting. Um, It would have been weak, but it would have been interesting. I think the power of what would, what happened is that she wished for him to come back and that he was stuck in another person's body and that she should have had more kind of, this is real messed up. Like I shouldn't probably like be physically yeah. kind of attracted to you or doing anything like this. Like I should step back and realize what's going on here. Yeah. I think that was the, pro- I, th- I think that is why people are struggling with it as much as they are is because like, I, be- I believe that Patty Jenkins probably did consider that and felt like that was more implied than, like, I don't think they were playing the fact that she was having sex with this guy off as a total joke. Like, we weren't supposed to feel gross about it. I I think Patty Jenkins probably did consciously think that part of what is happening here is Diana is sort of so caught up in her, what she wants that she's, you know, she doesn't care who gets hurt. That's kind of the, you know, the analogy that's set up in the opening of the movie, right? Is like, she doesn't care if she cheats. She doesn't care if, you know, all these other people who had trained really hard you know, they don't get their glory because she wanted to win and it was important to her. So like, I do think that that is set up. What I don't, what I do think is missing that has led to a lot of the issues here is that there, there isn't ever really a scene where it is communicated that she is acknowledges it all like the, that she feels guilty or that she feels uneasy about the fact that, you know, she's in this guy's apartment Like she doesn't pick up a picture of his kids or something, you know, and kind of or she doesn't she isn't confronted by like a neighbor that shows up and says, well, who's your new girlfriend or something? You know, like she is never forced to confront the fact that this guy is anything but the body that she is, you know, getting to like re-experience her her love with. And I think that's the missing piece. I think if there was any kind of recognition in a moment where she said, I shouldn't be doing this or, or even he says like, we shouldn't be doing this. And then she says something along the lines of, I know, but like, I can't live without you or something Mm -hmm. that would have been enough for us to say, okay, Patty Jenkins is at least aware of how this feels and is saying to us that, 
is signaling to us that it's a conflict that Diana's having, even if she's not outwardly expressing it. And that doesn't mean you need to spell it out in a like super obvious way or something, but I think there needed to be some recognition and choice to proceed anyway on on Diana's part that's missing. And that's that's why it feels like it's negligent as opposed to something that was intentionally uncomfortable we were supposed to feel. I agree. I agree completely. I don't think that, and I don't think uh, this many people would be bringing this much attention to this part of the movie if it wasn't like, if it was clear, this would not be an issue. If that was yeah. part of it, if they leaned into it, um, that would be okay. Like I'm going to go back to, to real quickly, Eric Reese who commented and said, I firmly believe that Steve's return should feel wrong on a fundamental level, which is kind of speaking to what you're saying, man. Yeah. The whole Aesop of this movie is stated by Intiope at the beginning. I lies can't bring you happiness. Diana wished on a monkey's paw. Even if she thought it was just a worthless piece of stone at the time, it fundamentally cannot bring her what she wants. Just as the Emir should be given his land, but without any water, it could bring back Steve's soul, but not his body. It could only put it into someone else's body, which would have proven troublesome if it had gone on longer than a single holiday weekend. Like, and that's that I think is the the issue here. It would have been really interesting to explore that dynamic, but it was almost thrown away. And like, don't worry about that. Worry more about her powers going away. But yeah, the fact like Diana is losing two things. She's losing her kind of her moral compass. So I guess, you know, Barbara is supposed to also be sort of losing her humanity and her moral compass, which kind of conflates these two things. But if she's losing her power and she's also sacrificing, you know, her integrity or something, that feels like she's losing two things. And then it it kind of muddles, I think, the idea that you lose one thing. You know, you could say those things maybe go hand in hand. You could talk around it, but... I do think that's the fundamental sort of issue with it. I, I think so too. And I think, um, you know, speaking of, of Barbara and where she was in this, and I'm saying this as a man. So, you know, in terms of sexual assault, I can only say so much. Um, but that part of it where she was sexually assaulted by the drunk guy in the beginning of the movie. And then again, in the middle of the movie, when she becomes Cheetah, really, that is played yeah. off as like, that's her heel turn. That's her villainous turn, but it's also yeah. a, a, a literal empowerment. So it's kind of a weird message yeah. to send that this kind of sexual assault is at the same time empowering and condemning, like you should condemn it because that's where she kind of went off the rails. And then there's also this other thing where Wonder Woman is actively taking part in non-consensual sex and celebrating yeah. that until the very end where she kind of lets him go, but then sees the guy afterwards and is like, hey, we we did it, but you don't know. And it's like, what yeah. the fuck? What is go what is the message here? <laughs> and I think that's why like there there's it's yeah. so confusing and conflicting with itself. And it's very strange. Um I do want to just say like in the final comment that I want to mention here, because he sums it up very well, Johnny Dilbert, uh, Dibbert says, I think exploring self-reflection and the difficult ethical challenges associated with the power of a superhero would have been interesting. And I think that's exactly how I feel about it. Like that conflict, yeah. what she was going through, what that put the position that that put her in, uh, both with Barbara and herself and kind of where she stands as this ambassador for peace and everything else, 
that would have been very interesting and into Maxwell Lord's character as well, which that just kind of, they literally like flipped the switch and the guy was fine again. And it's like, didn't learn anything. It was only because he was almost forced to again in a weird non-consensual way, relive his like worst memories, um, his most triggering things that made him into a villain and made him to the person he was. I mean, look, that gave us kind of an understanding who he was, but it did really nothing for him, his his uh, relationship with his son, or you know, his standing as a villain, um, or his motivations. It was just yeah. very weird and very bad and very poorly written. Like, just it, it. I will say this: it has replaced Justice League as the worst superhero movie uh, on DC's docket. <laughs> just going yeah, like now that is my attack on SR. No, but it's true. The saddest thing is that like, the person who's missing from this movie that wasn't that wasn't, you know, like or that was involved in the other one was Alan Heinberg, who wrote the screenplay for the first movie. Right. So it was Alan Heinberg and there was like story consults with like Jason Fuchs and, and Zack Snyder and like a few others. But but like the new one is like Patty Jenkins and like I think Jeff Johns and stuff. Right. Like it's like it's. It, like you really kind of realize how maybe important it was to have had, you know, maybe a more sort of traditional screenplay writer. He's not, he's not even that well known. I think he did like a lot of like TV, like Grey's Anatomy and stuff, but, but I don't know, like it, I don't, I don't think I had really given him much credit for the first movie, even though obviously like, you know, we're writers, like I appreciate what, what screenwriters do, but you know, I would, venture to guess maybe that has something to do with it if you have a writer director and kind of a writing team that's sort of you know putting a film together by committee a bit that's what this is sort of what you end up with with some really great scenes some really great character moments you know some cool action but also kind of a lot of a lot of sort of mess in the middle a lot of people coming out of it initially said that it was too long and I think it it may be too long, but that's the least interesting criticism of it. The real truth is there's a lot of stuff in there that's problematic that takes up space that it didn't, that didn't need to be taken up and probably back from what was a more cohesive like story. If you had just kind of stayed focused on that main thing, but. And and that's, that's, I think the issue. And and I should mention real quickly because Jeff Johns is a, a, a very noteworthy uh, writer of comics is probably my yeah. favorite comic book writer in in well in, in terms of how he reinvented uh, Green Lantern and Flash and certain other things for DC Comics. Um, is himself an Arab American, um, so you know all of the all of the things that we were talking about previously with the representation yeah. of Arabs, like should be taken into account that he was one of the writers. He is also not great at writing tv or movies <laughs> like he is one of the best <laughs> modern comic book writers or has been yeah. um but mm, not so great of a of a of an innings shall we say with uh tv and movies um but yeah i think that 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 but i mean that, it's a very it's a very comic booky movie that's the thing i mean that's why when i was saying it's kind of a throwback to the 80s i mean a lot of this feels like you know, Batman Returns or something like the way that Barbara is portrayed is like very similar to Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman and things like that. Right. Like, so it makes sense to me that Jeff Johns was like involved in writing this because there's a lot of kind of like comic book set pieces, you know, but it's like you'd be looking at this over the course of, you know, a like omnibus or something, you know, in comics. And like, I don't know if it 
if that translates into a live action movie the way that you know the first one did at least but yeah i think i think his like little call outs because he is quite famous for doing that and kind of reinventing i mean he's had two rebirth series so far um and takes a lot of the older lore that people really enjoy i mean there's a lot yeah. of that going on in comics and tv and movies right now anyway but he was really uh, doing that um a lot especially in green lantern rebirth but you know i don't yeah. think it translated well with this at all because it was like kind of too much of that and just just garbage the rest of the time like just really bad just not there's nothing cohesive it's just it's a bad movie guys like it's a bad movie i think i need to i need to rewatch it because i don't know that i i still think i'm on the side of of liking it enough um but i i i find it now kind of in hindsight to be problematic at least um, yeah. in, in a myriad of ways, but I don't know if the sum is, you know, if it's the sum of its parts before we, before we end, I mm-hmm. have a comment of the week though, okay. that I, I needed to get to. Um, so Romeo Giovanni said mm. the movie was so boring. My son literally cried because I told him he had to watch the movie with me as punishment for being bad on Christmas. Oh, uh, <laughs> so about 30 minutes of the movie he tried to be released from the pain of watching this movie ha 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 he couldn't take it anymore 30 minutes of wonder woman made my child cry lmao and i i feel like the movie might not be responsible for your child crying if like you are a parent that like punishes your kid for being bad on christmas by forcing them to watch a movie with you like i i'm not sure where the you know what the real reason behind the crying is, but I had to share that one. That was uh, by far the weirdest comment of the week for me. I mean, first of all, we live in a post bean dad uh, society true. now. Yeah. So like you have yeah. to be careful about those comments. That's number yeah. one. Um, That's number number two, not only is it like the, the if you're smoking a cigarette, you've got to smoke that entire pack of cigarettes way of parenting, which is, <laughs> you know, uh, its own little thing. Quite. But number, but number yeah. three, like thematically, if he's watching that, that movie with his kid and like sees the kind of treatment that Max Lord is bringing to his beautifully named son, Alistair. Uh, and like, just like, see that, mm-hmm. <laughs> look at that. Look at that right there. You see that that's a dad who loves his son. I get yeah. like, what is the teaching moment there that you're going to impart? <laughs> anyway, um, let us know what you think of Wonder Woman 1984. Did you like it? Did you hate it? Were you one of the, millions of people who just said meh in our comments i'm sure you got a lot of that too ben um i think most of them were like that uh let us know either way um and you can do that in a myriad of different ways um you can hit us uh on twitter at first rule cast you can find us on instagram at the first rule podcast you can email us at the first rule at cbr.com and you can find this entire thing at bitly first rule pod that is one word you can find me on twitter at steve empire or follow at cbr on twitter and you can find us at cbr.com ben where can people find you and yours you can find me at ben kendrick on twitter you can follow screen rant um at screen rant it's you know cbr like squared it's like a little bit better it's like cbr on steroids Mm, yeah you do need performance enhancing drugs to match us that's true I think uh, I think we'll just go ahead and leave that right there. Thank you so much, very much for joining us. Uh, very, very happy new year to everybody out there listening. I hope you had a fantastic holiday from both Screen Rant and CBR. And we will see you all next time.